I want to begin this message this morning by saying that I love the fall. I, I love seeing Tennessee fans happy again, you know? I mean, like, you guys are smiling this morning. I love the cooler weather. I love the, the, the changing color of the leaves. I love fires in the, uh, the fireplace on the porch or in the back patio. Uh, I love football season. Um, I love all the sights and, and sounds of, of fall. And so uh, I hope if you are taking a break for fall break that you can enjoy this beautiful time of the year. And I hope that because fall doesn't last very long uh, in Middle Tennessee, it seems like I hope that we can all enjoy this incredible season. Take a moment, look around, see the beauty of God's creation and enjoy this season. Today, we're concluding our parable series that we've been doing since the, the middle of August. Uh, we've been in Luke's gospel for about two months, looking at not all of the parables, but many of the different parables. And today, we're actually going to roll back to the beginning and talk about the very first parable that Jesus uh, offers to us in Luke's gospel. And, and he does something in the parable of the sower that he often doesn't do in the other parables. And that is, he explains it. This is what he says. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have, have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they, they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root, so they believe only for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. As for what fell on the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for that in the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patient endurance. That's what Jesus says. He unpacks this parable for us in Luke chapter 8. If I ask you this morning to explain to me your understanding of discipleship, spiritual growth, and specifically of spiritual maturity. What would you say? Maybe you would say that, that spiritual maturity simply means that you take the, uh, your faith and the spiritual life seriously. You make time for it. Or maybe you would say that spiritual maturity means that you pay attention to the state of your heart and the motives and intentions that you have in life. Why you do the things that you do. Why you feel the way that you feel. Or maybe you would say that, that spiritual maturity and discipleship means that you don't get angry and worked up over things that really don't matter in the big picture. Or maybe you'd say that spiritual maturity means that you have developed a healthy relationship with God through prayer on a daily basis a devotional time, you've joined a small group, you found a way to serve other people. And, and all of these answers would be correct. The spiritual life is the most neglected dimension of our lives. And, and I think it's because people simply don't know how to cultivate it and they don't know what it involves. People are busy. We're stressed out. We're preoccupied. But following Jesus and becoming spiritually mature, I think, is a big part of, of, of living a meaningful life. And some people seem to, to work hard on it and get it, and other people don't seem to be able to do that. I am convinced 
that Jesus wants us to grow in our spiritual lives. Jesus wants us to, to take the condition of our hearts seriously. But that involves first acknowledging that spiritual values are different from secular values. Spiritual values are in many ways countercultural. New Testament scholar Marcus Borg passed away a few years back. He used to say that there are three primary secular values. They all begin with A, appearance, affluence, and achievement. He says these are the values that drive many people the first half of their lives and some people their entire lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with these things, appearance, affluence, and achievement, unless it's all you ever think about. Then it becomes a problem. The way of Jesus is a way out of a life that is only concerned with appearance, affluence, and achievement. He's calling us to go deeper, to a place of the spirit, and this is where life change and transformation takes place. So to the parable of the sower, Jesus says that there are different kinds of soil and that represents different conditions of the heart, right? First, the seed on the path, trampled by the birds, the birds ate it up, it's trampled underfoot. People who are easily distracted from hearing God's message doesn't resonate with them before somebody comes along, the birds come along and snatch it up, takes their attention and takes them in a completely different direction. Um, I, the way that I see it, there are three primary barriers for people on the, on the path. The first is fear and its evil twin, anxiety. They're often afraid of what God might want or demand from them. They may have to give up certain aspects of life or their lifestyle, which would be highly inconvenient. The second barrier is pride and ego. Many of these folks say, you know, I don't need God. Things are going well in my life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine on my own. I, I don't need help from anybody else. Do you remember what C.S. Lewis said about pride? He called it a spiritual cancer that's only focused on competition and being better than other people. Pride is often a way that we disguise insecurity. Many of these people believe that if they take the time to truly listen to God, they just might have to admit their weaknesses and their shortcomings, and that's not fun. So they tune God out, and they don't open their hearts, and they convince themselves that they're doing just fine on their own. The third barrier for the people on the path that I see is resentment and anger. It's the mindset that life is tough and difficult and we all go through painful times and trying situations. And one of the ways that some people respond to this is by hardening their hearts and isolating themselves. They may get angry at God or blame God for things that have happened in the past. They find themselves saying, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to be in this situation? Why did this unfortunate circumstance have to come my way? But whatever the reason, the people in the path never let the faith transform their hearts and how they see the world. It doesn't take root, it doesn't grow, it doesn't flourish. The second kind of soil that Jesus talks about is the soil that fell on the rocky ground. And, and it sprang up quickly, but then when the sun comes out, it's scorched. And I think this represents the people who get excited about their faith at first, but they quickly lose their enthusiasm. They're believers for a little while, but they soon fall away and they don't nurture their faith and give it time to grow. Somebody once said, you know, it takes about a 5% effort to win somebody to Christ and a 95% effort 
to keep them growing in that relationship. And I think that that's very true. You can become a Christian, you can get baptized, you can join the church, but the real effort is in the, the follow through, the sustained effort to grow. And that's where many people, when the, when the sun comes out and it scorches them, it's too much. You know, we've all been in this category at different times in our lives, and sometimes we can slip back into this category where the weight of the world and the things that we're dealing with just seem like it's too much. It seems like it's too much. But to, to, to push through, to be a Christian that walks the walk, I think we have to spend time in prayer. I think we have to read the Bible. I think we have to take care of ourselves spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, and it's up to us to make sure that we are doing these things. Now, the third category that Jesus talks about is the seed that fell among the thorns. And, and it started to grow, but so did the thorns, and the, th the thorns choked it out, it yielded no grain. And so we can name all the things that can be thorns in today's world, money, possessions, selfishness, politics, sports, worry, fear, social status, and anything else that keeps us from growing spiritually. But, but I've always found it ironic that in a culture that is plagued with fear and anxiety, and think about the last two years during the pandemic, what we might find is that if we could turn more of our lives over to God and trust that God will take care of things and quit trying to worry everything to death, we just might be better off. Another thorn in our culture is addiction. And this was real the past two years um, drugs, alcohol, opioids, pain pills, food, sex. It, when, when, when these things get out of balance, they become a big problem. And that's why we always address them here at our church through healing ministries, people trying to get their lives back on track. A modern day thorn, and I would quote Tim Keller here, is, is an idol that we worship other than God. And anything that prevents us from building a healthy relationship with God and with Jesus Christ, thorns can ruin an otherwise healthy crop. And sometimes we have a hard time seeing certain things in our lives as being thorns. Now finally, Jesus talks about the good soil and how the seed that fell into the good soil brought forth grain, growing up and producing a hundredfold. This is spiritual depth. This is the life that Christ is calling all of us to live, to be the good soil. It's those who hear God's word, who are receptive, who believe, and who make a conscious decision to put their faith into action. The good soil is characterized by a willing heart, an open spirit, and a readiness to love God and love others. You know, the good soil people, they have the same stresses and pressures as everybody else in life. They just find a way to keep it in balance. They seem to be at peace. They seem to live in the present. They don't take on more than they can do. They don't get rattled very easily. This is what we're called to be. And I want to leave you with, with, with three thoughts this morning as to what would it look like? What might it look like for us to become the good soil? The first thought is simple. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. We have to keep our focus on Jesus. And to be honest, Christians are not always good at doing this. We get distracted, we get sucked into politics and social issues and culture wars and arguments that, that really don't matter sometimes. 
We fight over doctrine and orthodoxy and church policy, and we lose our focus on Jesus. In a book that the staff just read together, written by Andy Stanley, Atlanta pastor, it's called Not In It to Win It. I recommend the book. He says, the American church is in a state of emergency, but currently we are too distracted to even notice. We have continued to allow ourselves to be divided by secondary concerns, while what should be our biggest concerns continue to go unaddressed. Division. Christians get divided over so many things. And so he continues, why should we, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the hands and feet of Jesus, allow ourselves to be baited into debates and divided over questions about which we all have opinions informed by partial and skewed information. You know, this is one of the primary missions of Woodmont, has been for almost 80 years, to bring people together in a world that's always trying to divide them. And the only way that we do this is by keeping our focus on Christ, by reminding ourselves that what unites us Jesus Christ is much greater than what divides us. And to remember the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, that all would be one so that the world might come to believe. Sometimes I wonder if we should pray that prayer on Sunday morning and alternate it with the Lord's Prayer. Secondly, to be the good soil that Jesus talks about in this parable, we have to create room in our lives for growth to happen. A few weeks ago, my neighbor, his name is Walter, uh, rented an aerator, one of those big aerators that you stand on, right? And you, and you ride it around the yard. Um, I usually let the yard guys do the aerating, but I was my day off, it was a beautiful day, he said, do you wanna use the aerator? And I thought, why not? <laughs> what could go wrong, right? So I got on the aerator and, you know, had my sunglasses and was waving to people as they drove by and, you know, had to remember to pull the aerator up when you got on the driveway and all that kind of good stuff, right? But what the aerator does is it takes plugs of, uh, of your yard out and it allows you to come back and put seed and fertilizer and then water on top so you can grow new grass. Some of you know that, others of you that might be news. That's what the aerator does, pulls plugs of the ground up. And um, it's been two weeks, I still haven't seen any new grass. I wonder what I'm missing. But, but I got to think about it. Isn't this kind of like what the spiritual life is about? We need to create room for the seed to grow. You can't just throw seed on a hard packed soil. The seed can't germinate. And then the soil needs to be watered. It needs cooler temperatures and it needs sunlight for the new grass to come in but some of us are not good at making room for this to happen in our hearts. We're busy, we're stressed, we're overcommitted, we're angry, we're resentful. The conditions aren't right for the seed to take root. And we need to fix that. We, we need to do some things that will allow the word of God to flourish in our hearts. You, you can't just throw seed onto a busy life and expect for it to resonate and transform. There's no room for it. It just stays on the surface. The conditions have to be right. And this is what many of us miss. We have to do soul care. The world's not gonna do it for us. Lastly, this morning, to be the good soil that Jesus talks about in this parable, we have to take a step back and ask ourselves a very important question. Are we embodying the fruits of the Spirit? Are we living them? 
What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is going to be our next sermon series at Woodmont. We're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit and specifically ask the question, are we living these? Are these exemplified in how we carry ourselves? If we're living in the Spirit, if we're focusing on Christ, then these fruits will be evident to other people. But if we are stressed out and angry and bitter and under too much pressure, then we will not embody these traits. And the times in my life when I know I'm not embodying these traits, I know I need to take a step back and say, what's wrong? What do I need to fix? This is the test. We're going to talk a lot about it. If we're fearful, we need to love more. If we are in despair, we need to experience joy. If we're angry, we need to look for peace. If we're irritated, we need to be more patient. If we find ourselves short with people, we need to practice kindness. If we're being selfish and self-centered, we need to be more generous with our time, with our money, with our intentionality. If we're being lured away by worldly temptations, we need to be more faithful. If we're being hostile, we need to find gentleness. And when we are being excessive in any area, eating, drinking, shopping, social media, we need to try to regain self-control. Whether or not we're embodying the fruits of the Spirit should be the litmus test to being the good soil. When we are the good soil, these traits are evident. But it takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes prayer. And guess what? It takes us relying on each other within the community. Amen.